Amen. It's good to worship together this morning. Always good to sing of God's good grace to us. Um, Well, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Kevin Bowles. I'm one of the pastors here at Redeemer, and um, it is good to be together with you all this morning uh, as we look together to the Lord. Well, uh, as you heard in our scriptures, we are going to be in Psalm 63 this morning. We're taking a break from the Gospel of Luke. We have been in the Gospel of Luke, as you know, for a while. um, And this fall, we're actually taking a break from Luke. And so uh, we're going to spend these, the next, this week and the next two, the next three weeks, uh, sorry, three weeks, I'll say that accurately, uh, looking together at the vision of our church. Um, And so this morning, we'll be doing that through Psalm 63. Uh, so I, I don't know if you've seen like these impossible puzzles. Um, I have not done one. I'm not a puzzle guy, but like they're, okay, so there, people have started this new thing, puzzle makers, where they make like literally uh, just a dumb puzzle. It's basically like just a collection of like, like it's basically like a computer screen graphic uh, with just slightly different colors and alterations. And like, you're supposed to build a puzzle out of this. And if you look on the cover of the box, it's like, it's just random colors next to each other. There's not a picture at all. Uh, and, and so as you put the puzzle, to get, you might as well just close your eyes and imagine something that you're gonna make because there's no way looking at the box cover is gonna help you uh, put the puzzle together. Uh, there's, there's no vision. Uh, when we talk about vision, uh, we're, we're not talking about some like corporate team building idea from the 21st century. Uh, this is, we're not gonna do a trust fall at the end of the service, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, vision wasn't invented uh, by hairstylists who have a book of hair pictures of all these beautiful people with their beautiful haircuts that you won't look nearly as good with their haircut, which maybe that's just my experience, but um, (laughs) vision wasn't invented by Chip and Joanna. Uh, The the people in Waco didn't make up vision when Joanna Gaines drew, hey, here's what your kitchen could look like in this amazing house that's not that amazing, but it'll be amazing when we're done with it. Uh, Vision wasn't made by the puzzle people. all of these are examples of vision, a hoped for future, but true vision comes from God. It's the preferred or the promised future that he points us to, the future of a life with him. Vision started at the beginning in the garden. God, uh, God cast vision for Adam and Eve. He said, you get to fill the earth and subdue it. The earth is yours. Rule over the creatures. And if you see green plants, guess what? You get to eat those. What a vision. He gave parameters. Don't don't eat of this tree, he said, or you'll die. But the rest is yours. Go live. God later cast a vision for his people when he pointed them toward the blessings of life that they would find in the land that he had promised. If you follow my commands, if you walk in my ways, there will be blessings he described to them. This is what life could be. And of course, he calls us and casts the ultimate vision for us. The life of faith, a life of abundance, even joy in trials. And of course, the eternal vision, hope forever, a new heaven, a new earth where the sun won't be needed because Christ will be our light. That's our vision forever. And so as we look over these next three weeks as a Redeemer family, we, we want to answer that, the vision question. What would it be like in our church if as a church family, we really lived out the mission? If we really lived the mission to make disciples and to make much of Jesus? 
And remember when we, we use this terminology, making much of Jesus, when we say that, we're not talking about making, making Jesus to be a bigger deal than he really is. Like, it's little old Jesus, we gotta make a big deal out of him. He likes it, let's make a big deal out of Jesus. No, it's not that. It is, he is the hugest thing there is. He's already huge. He, he's the name above every name. There's no one greater. But, but our world does not see him that way, do they? The world does not recognize him for who he is. In fact, many Christians fail to properly see Christ and submit to him for who he is. And if we're honest, you and I often relegate Christ to a minor player in the stage of our life. Rather than exalt him, we minimize the king of the universe. And so it is our mission, it is our aim to make much of him, to make much of Jesus in our lives. So what does the front of the puzzle box look like when we've rightly made much of Christ? If, if Joanna Gaines could draw spiritual realities instead of shiplap kitchens, uh, what would it look like if she drew us? Us making much of Jesus. If Christ is rightly worshiped and Christ, rightly made supreme here at Redeemer, what sort of people will we be? What will the, our lives with Christ look like? And, and our answer, I, I believe, is this. This is our, our answer that we are giving to that question. It's this, by God's grace. And that part is important. That part is important because it only happens by him. Like we can't manufacture something. This only happens by his work, his spirit in us. By God's grace, we will be a family who treasures the gospel of Jesus, who lives the way of Jesus, and who proclaims the hope of Jesus. So today... We're gonna focus in on, on that first one. And that what would it be like for us to be a people who treasure the gospel of Jesus? People who love Christ. People who feast on the beauty of the good news of, of Jesus. So, so how, do we, how do we get there? I think, I think for many in our kind of self-improvement, self-help age, the answer to questions like that is just bigger, better Bible studies. I think I've, I've, that, that's gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try this one. Bigger, bigger better, better Bible reading plan. That's gonna be, if you can package that, somebody do it. Um, just something bigger and better, more, better discipline, better time management, better, better church attendance. And look, all of those things are, are good. Uh, they might be the right and good responses to, as we treasure Christ, but they're, they're simply changing our behavior. Remember back in Luke 12, this is back a little while back in Luke this is what we read that Jesus said. He said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Make money bags for yourselves that won't grow old. Uh, an exhaustible treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and so the application of that, that when, when, when we read that, the application wasn't sell everything you have, get a seat on, on the next SpaceX and get up to heaven to where you can find a bank account and put your money up there. It wasn't that, right? It wasn't even sell everything you have, bring it to the church, and we'll put it in a spiritual bank account for you. It wasn't that either. No, it was Jesus saying, this isn't about a bank account at all. It, it, this was, what does your heart love? What does your heart love? What do you love the most? Because that is your treasure. Fix your treasure there, because wherever it is, that's where your heart is. So how will we treasure Christ? 
How will we treasure his gospel? Today, today I want us to see three ways I, th- I think that will happen. Number one, we need to long for God. Number two, we must believe the gospel. And number three, we remain in the path. As we dig in, let's, let's go to the Lord now in prayer. And just right where you are, I, I just invite you, ask the Lord, Lord, would you still my heart? Would you quiet all the distractions around me? Uh, would you help me to receive from you, uh, to, to, to believe what it is your word would, would teach us? Ask him now. Would you pray for me that I would, that I, I would just be a vessel of, of the spirit, that the spirit would speak to us through his word this morning and that we would hear what he would have us hear. So pray, pray now for me. Oh Lord, we need you. We need you to do a work in our hearts. We need you to help us see spiritual reality that we might treasure what is most valuable and that we might see your great glory and that we might worship. Lord, would you move in our hearts today? Would you give us ears that would hear? Father, we also lift up our brothers and sisters and, and many who are suffering uh, in, in Maui. Uh, Lord, we ask that you, would, um, that you would bring comfort where there is grieving. Lord, that you would be present in the lives of those who are suffering. Lord, that you would bring home safely those who are missing. And, and Father, would, you, um, would your church shine brightly uh, in the midst of suffering and darkness? Will Jesus be made much of there? Lord, we, we praise you. You are good to meet with us. You are good to care for us. Would you help us this morning? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we, uh, we begin with number one. Long for God. We need to long for God. Well, this is uh, Psalm 63 is, is one of the most beloved psalms in church history. John Chrysostom in the fourth century said that among primitive or early Christians, it was decreed and ordained that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. That's pretty high praise of the psalm. He he also said this, which is even, even greater. He said, the spirit and soul of the whole book of the Psalms is contracted into this psalm. This was his view uh, and how many revered this psalm. So let's listen now as we hear these words. And this is what David wrote. Verse one, God, you are my God. I thirst for you. My body faints for you in a land that is dry, desolate, and without water. This is pretty like potent language, isn't it? 
Like David, okay, we get it here. Like, uh, that's, this is a lot. And, and I think we understand like how he's feeling a little bit, like, cause it's, it's a million degrees outside if you haven't noticed. Like he's, he's clearly in some, he, he's clearly parched, he's thirsty, he's out in the heat and we get it. It's, it's like an oven outside. I don't know what's happening. It won't rain. Now they're telling us don't even water your grass anymore. Just let it die, um, save the water. Uh, but David is feeling that, right? And it, but also it's a, it's a song too. This is the sort of love song that you might imagine that like a young lover might write to his beloved. Uh, I can't breathe without you. I, I feel faint when you're not with me. It's like I'm dying. It takes me back to my days of, of driving in the car and blasting out Chicago. I don't wanna live without your love. I don't wanna face this night alone, right? So this is, this is, this is you know, it's thick lyrics here, right? David is longing. It's as though he's longing for life itself. Uh, but it's not a hot Houston summer that he's, that he's suffering through. It's not even the throes of young love that he's writing about. He's writing about spiritual reality. David finds himself on the outs. He's suffering. He's literally in the wilderness. He, he's, this is either, either him hiding uh, before he was king, hiding from Saul, or he, he's having to hide from those who are killing him or are desiring to kill him as king. But instead of writing, save me from this wilderness, my body's waning, rescue me, give me some provision, take me where I need to go, Instead, with, with spiritual clarity, he, you can tell he's moving beyond the physical. Even more than the physical problem, he's seeing his spiritual weakness. And I think this is one of the reasons we see David referred to as a man after God's own heart. And so, so he writes, God, I eagerly seek you. I eagerly seek you. It, this actually means, could mean I early seek you. It's, it, he's like he's saying, I, I can't even sleep all night. Like my desperation has me up early and, and I've woken up parched. I need to be satisfied. I need you. So what, what's the answer to his longing? Verse two. So I gaze on you in the sanctuary to see your strength and your glory. David says the solution is to behold the Lord to behold him. Remember in, in Psalm 27, uh, David wrote this. He said, one thing I ask that I may gaze upon your beauty. It's the same word, that I could look and behold you. And it almost sounds here like he's referring to a past experience. And I think he, there's, there's a little bit of a double meaning here, a past experience of beholding God in, in the corporate worship. Uh, but it's not just that. He's not lamenting distance from God. He's not praying, get me to the tabernacle, then I'll gaze, then I'll look at God. No, he, he's describing his current state. He's in this state of longing. I just want to see you here, to see your strength and your glory. I'm eagerly seeking. My heart's pouring out with longing to know you and to see you. If I can just get a glimpse. And once I do, if I get a glimpse, you know what I'll do? Look what I'll do. Verse three, my lips will glorify you. I've seen your power before, Lord. I wanna see, I wanna see it again. I wanna see more. And this, this may, you may read this and go, man, this is a little intense. Like, what would, you, what would you tell David? Like, would you say, hey, calm down, David. Like, this is, God is good, he's with you. Don't worry about it, David. You don't, you don't have to be so angsty. Uh, but have you ever longed for God like this? Like, can I, can I just make an observation about us? We're actually really good at this. Like, we as humans, 
We're actually really good at longing and gazing at things. In fact, if there's anything we're good at, it is attaching worth or value to a thing, contemplating that thing, looking at that thing, reading about it, learning about it, memorizing it. Like I've heard some of you talk about your kids' sports teams. Others of us, I've heard you talk and you've built your lives around your your schedules around hobbies or about maybe it's hunting or video games or music. Maybe it's your career goals or your, or your fitness plan. Maybe it's the next big vacation or the last one. Some of us yell at sometimes when the Astros hit a home run from your living room. I don't know who would do that, but some of us, some of us, we, we behold. If you follow the trail, the, the, the breadcrumb trail that we leave behind of our, of our conversations that we have, the trail of our internal thoughts and affections, the trail of our money and the way we spend our time, we are really gifted at beholding. And we're really good at giving glory to things. And we long for more of them. We long, we long to gaze again. And when we do, what do we do? Our lips glorify. We speak about that thing that we have beheld. We find other people who haven't heard about it yet. And what do we do? We tell them about it. And then we find other people who have and they know about it. And what do we do? We rejoice with them about it. We talk with them about it. We are like those that Paul spoke of in Athens in Acts 17 when he said, I see you're very religious. We are actually very skilled worshipers. And look, it's, it's okay to have hobbies and interests. God's gifts are so plentiful. He is so kind to us. But as you examine your own heart, what do you really long for? What, what does your heart long to think on, to ponder? What experiences do you yearn for? Have created things drawn your gaze away from the creator? Augustine said it this way. He said, for everyone is in the heat of longing. The longing itself is the thirst of the soul and see what longings there are in the hearts of men. One longeth for gold, another longeth for silver, another longeth for possessions, another inheritance, another abundance of money, another many herds, another a wife, another honors, another sons. You see those longings, how they are in the hearts of men. All men are inflamed with longing and scarce is found one to say, my soul hath thirsted for thee. For men thirst for the world and perceive not themselves to be in the desert where their souls ought to thirst for God. Our longings, they are too easily satisfied, aren't they? Augustine is saying, we don't hunger for God because we don't realize we're in the desert and because we already ate. We've already ruined our appetite. Like the perfectly cooked filet mignon is ready to be served, about to come off the grill to us. But you already ate a lean pocket. You had two of them. Why did I eat two of them? David was at the end of his sustenance and he knew that only God could satisfy this longing. So why didn't David say 
in verse one, my body faints, my soul thirsts, I long for you. Why didn't he just skip straight to verse five and say, and you satisfy me? End of Psalm. I could have been a much better songwriter than David, I think. Uh, I thirst, I long, you satisfy. Song over. That was easy. Uh, No. It's because this, it's because to truly be satisfied, we need more than simply to look at God. To, To be truly satisfied in God, we actually need to know something very particular about God. Which leads to our second point, number two. We need to believe the gospel. David needed to be convinced of something. Look at verse three. My lips will glorify you because your faithful love is better than life. Your faithful love is better than life. I am so glad that God doesn't simply say to us, look how great I am. Now love me. Look how worthy I am. Now treasure me. Why? Because we would never do it. You would never do it. I would never do it. No, the gospel says God moved toward you. He came to us. We can love God. We can treasure him. Why? We read it earlier. John tells us we love because he first loved us. So how did David find satisfaction to all his longings? Before he could be satisfied by God's perfect attributes, by his strength, by his glory, he needed first to believe in God's mercy and in God's love. Let me explain for a minute. If you've ever been to uh, Taste of Texas down in Houston, uh, it's quite an experience. It's been a number of years since I've been, uh, but but uh, I think they stopped this for a minute with COVID, but they've got it back up and going again where you get to walk to the back and you get to look through the glass and you get to pick your steak. First of all, I don't know why I get to pick the steak. You pick a good steak. I don't know what the good one is. Like you pick me a steak, but still I get to go look at it and they get to let me pick the steak. Uh, Now imagine if they walk me back to the window and I'm looking at the steak and, and they just said, look at it. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it delicious? Just stand there. Enjoy it. Now, please leave. Go home. But what? What? No. Like, that's not enough. That's not enough. It's not satisfying to see how great the steak is. I need the steak to come to me. I need the steak at my table. I want to taste it. As we behold the perfections of God, his strength his glory, his majesty. It's all for naught unless he comes to us. Unless he comes to us. In fact, when we see God's perfections, what do we discover? We discover, like David, we cry out, who am I? Who am I that you would even think about me, God? We're like Isaiah. We say, I am a man of unclean lips. How could I even get to you, God? I am magnificently flawed. That's what we see. When we see God, we see I am permanently separated. There's no way. I could never get on the other side of the glass. When we meditate on the glorious perfections of God, we begin to feel infinitely small until 
we also see his great mercy until we see his faithful love. Mercy, faithful love. This is the stake getting out from behind the glass, coming to the table. Faithful love is God coming to you. We need his faithful love. When David says your faithful love is better than life, he's not just saying you're really consistent at loving, like you're really faithful at it. Good way to go, God. That's not what it is. This Hebrew word hesed, I think I got that right, is, is loaded with this idea of loyal, covenant-keeping, merciful love. It's, it's all baked into this word. This is, this is what David knew to be true about God. How did he know it? Growing up, remember David would, would have heard, he would have learned uh, he, that God was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What did Abraham do? Did he go out and find God? No, God came to him. God called him. What did Jacob do? Did he earn God's love? Like, have you read about Jacob's life? No way. Jacob, Jacob's sons tried to kill his other son. Right? This is not earning God's love. No, God's people had not merited love. Instead, God brought his loyal, faithful, covenant-keeping love upon them. He called Abraham to himself. He was faithful to loving Jacob's family. And this had to happen because there was nothing within them that could get there. They couldn't have achieved it. God would have been right to have wiped them off of the map immediately. No, their only hope was that God was abounding in faithful, merciful love. You remember when God had rescued his people out of Egypt in Exodus? How does he refer to himself? He says to Moses in Exodus 34, I am a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. And, and when did he say that? He said that right after they had worshiped a golden calf. David wrote of this exact love in Psalm 145. He, in fact, he's quoting it. He's saying the same words. He says in Psalm 145, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Take it one step further in David's life. What does David recall about God when he has completely blown it by his sin with Bathsheba? In his lowest moment, broken down by his sin, what did he write? What was his only hope? He wrote in Psalm, 150, Psalm 51, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. This idea is everywhere. God promises his chesed, his faithful love to his people. He promises it to David's son, Solomon, who also did not earn it. The prophet Jeremiah writes this of God. Even after Jerusalem has been destroyed, even in despair, he writes in Lamentations 3, the faithful or steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And then, of course, we fast forward to Jesus, to the Son of God. Who, who is Jesus. Hebrews tells us he is the exact representation of the nature of God. 
He's the Hesed of God. He's God's faithful love in the flesh. We couldn't get to him, could we? So what did he do? He took on flesh and he came to us. Ephesians chapter two says this beginning in verse four. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us. Do you hear that? It's like the Psalm. He's rich in mercy. He's abounding in love. And because of his faithful love, what, what did he do? Verse five, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. We are just like Israel. We, God had every right to cast us off, to wipe us off the map. We did nothing to compel him to love us. <clears throat> nothing that would require him to stoop so low as to become incarnate. No, the gospel is this, that, that on the cross of Christ, we see the ultimate hesed, we see the ultimate faithful, unmerited love of God, that God demonstrated his love in this, that he died for us while we were sinners. The perfect God of all, Jesus, our God, our Savior, dying in our place. We couldn't have achieved that. We couldn't have gotten there. And what does his love accomplish for us? We, had, we were dead. Not just asleep, not just in need of some improvement. We had a broken nature that we inherited from our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve. There's nothing we could have done to fix it. We, 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 did, we needed to be remade, reborn. And so he first loved us. He came to us with faithful love. And if you're here today and, and you've never walked with God, if you've never been a Christian, never, never known whether God loved you or not, let me tell you something. The only way forward for you, the only way forward for any of us, it's not new habits. It's not, okay, tomorrow's Monday. I'll do better tomorrow. I'm, gonna, I'm really gonna do it this time. That doesn't get you on the other side of the glass. No, the only hope for any of us, the only way to be forgiven is to look to the love of God that comes to you and then cry out, save me, help me. Come to me, God, and forgive me. Be my Lord. And this is why in Psalm 63, as David approaches God, he doesn't just say, I've seen how strong you are. That's really great. I, that's, I'm really good with that, God. I really like that. No, it's, not, it's simply not enough for him to study or for us to study God's attributes. It's not enough to just see his great power and to see his strength. If we are going to be satisfied in God, if we're gonna receive him as our treasure, then we must believe the gospel. The good news of the faithful love of God to us in Christ. That's what we need. And I think maybe this shows up in our, our prayer times. Christian, what does your prayer, prayer time looks like, look like? Are your, are your prayer times just simply marked by requests? God, I need that. Like, I'm worried about this. 
Or do you, do you go to him maybe in your time? It's just a time of study. Like, God, I wanna know a little bit more. I wanna, I wanna teach me more, Lord. Let me, let me suggest that until our prayer times begin to sound more like this, filled with wonder and thanksgiving, oh God, praise you that you would love me. Thank you that you would even want to know me, that you would show mercy to me. Without your mercy, I was doomed. But because of your cross, I live. When you see his faithful love, that fellowship, that time with him becomes even all the more sweet. Even your answered prayers are now a gift of that faithful love, a gift of that grace. Every attribute of God now becomes an attribute that's for you. It's an attribute because of his faithful love. He holds you with his strength. His strength isn't just strength, it's strength for you. It's strength that he uses to love you. So we must long for God, but we must believe the gospel. And lastly, number three, we must remain in the path. Remain in the path. Verse five, he says, you satisfy me as with rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So, so how will we become people marked by treasuring the gospel? Those, how will we be those who are satisfied by Christ? Well, I wanna give us uh, three ways. I wanna suggest three ways. Uh, number one, we need to abide. We need to abide. How will you be satisfied? How will you treasure Christ? Jesus said this in, in uh, John chapter 15. He said, abide or remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I love the message translation of this actually says, make your home in me. I love that. Like, is Jesus a place that you visit from time to time? Or is he the one who is the one you walk with? Is he the one who is your home? Is he where you live? I, I do think this must mean we, we must carve out times of regular time for prayer and study, daily meditating on his word. I think it also means this, this, we have to value uh, being present with God's people, showing up, letting our hearts be stirred as we sing the truth of God, let, let, letting our prayers join together uh, to, to go to our Lord that we long for, listening to sermons, being stirred by God's word, taking communion, being reminded of his grace. I love this idea from Jonathan Edwards. He said this, persons need and ought not to set any bounds to their spiritual and gracious appetites. Instead, they ought to be in, endeavoring by all possible ways to inflame their desires and to obtain more spiritual pleasures. Our hungerings and thirstings after God and Jesus Christ and after holiness can't be too great for the value of these things, uh, for they are things of infinite value. Therefore, endeavor to promote spiritual appetites by laying yourself in the way of allurement. I love that. Laying yourself in the way of allurement. There is no such thing as excess in our taking of this spiritual food. There is no such virtue, virtue as temperance in spiritual feasting. 
Uh, when Amy and I were first dating in high school, uh, I think I look back, I still think we were children. Um, but somehow, uh, when we were changing class uh, over at Klein Oak High School in the hallways of the school, I would magically, I don't know how this happened, I would magically appear outside of her classes when she got out of class. I don't know, I can't remember how it happened. Um, but I made sure that I was there. Why? Did showing up force her to love me? No, there was nothing I could do to do that. But what was I doing? I was putting myself into the pathway of allurement. I was gonna make sure I was in her path. I wanted more and the best thing I do was, could do was to get in her path. The, the Lord Jesus, we know what his path is. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his people. He meets us in prayer. It, are those things always magical? Is it always life-changing every time we open up God's word? No. But we will only receive more of him if we just keep getting in his path. If we keep setting aside time, we have to open up his word. We have to put our phones away and open up our hearts and just be there. His faithful love will meet us there. Secondly, we need to let abiding drive out weaker treasures. Uh, Thomas Chalmers calls this the expulsive power of a new affection. Uh, and we've all done this, right? We've all, I, we've all made drastic changes in our life where we're like, I'm gonna change this habit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put away this practice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop this hobby or this habit. Uh, I'm gonna take a break from TV or from social media. And, and these are great things. These are good things to do. That's great defense. It's good to play defense. But know this, cutting social media, it won't turn your soul to the Lord. It won't do that alone. I love that Pastor Barry says this a lot. The, the best defense is a good offense. Now, I know he didn't make that up. <clears throat> That's like sports, sports lingo, but it, it definitely applies in the spiritual life. We must seek to stir our affections for Christ. And as we do that, the, the idols in our lives will become less sweet. They'll become less attractive. We need to read books that point us to Christ. We need to memorize scripture. We need to write down and journal our prayers and God's answering of our prayers. And you know what will happen as we do that? Those, those other distractions in our life, they, they will suddenly become less attractive. Other treasures begin to lose their value as the surpassing worth of Christ and his, his value grows in our heart. And then lastly, we need to store up gospel fuel. David said this in verse six. When I think of you as I lie on my bed, I meditate on you during the night watches because you are my helper. I will rejoice in the shadow of your wings. David thought about God a lot. He, this isn't him saying like, I was out taking the night shift and so I had nothing else to do. So I was just thinking about you. He said, I'm, I'm supposed to be sleeping. I'm laying on my bed at night. And what did he remember? What did he think of? He had memorized God's commands, God's statutes, the stories of God's faithfulness. And he called on them. We need that sort of repository to call upon. 
We need God's word to remind us when we can't remember, when we have forgotten his goodness, we need his word to flood into our minds and into our hearts to remind us of who he is. Because we will forget, we will not remember, we will forsake and run after other things. And so we need, uh, we need to have fuel that burns again in us so that the longing is back. And so I, I want us just to look at some scriptures together. We're gonna end there. And I hope maybe this will be just the beginning of a list for you. Uh, this would be th- that you'd add to it. A list of those scriptures that would fuel your desires for Jesus and for the gospel. So let's listen together. I'm gonna read little snippets of these sections. John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. What, is, what does that passage say? He was full of grace and truth. Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans 8, I mean the whole chapter, but, but verse 28 to 38, we read, he, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ephesians 2, we read it earlier. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's God's gift so that no one can boast. The rest of the chapter just keeps getting more amazing. Philippians 2 He was obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Colossians 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him, by Jesus, all things hold together. Titus 3. But when the kindness of God, our savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Hebrews 1, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. First Peter 1, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Redeemer family, there is no greater treasure for us. There's nothing better. There's nothing else that you will achieve in life. No other satisfaction you will experience. No other place you will get to that will truly satisfy the longing of your soul. May we treasure our Lord. May we treasure the faithful love that he has bestowed upon us. May he satisfy us. He will. 
Let's go to him now in prayer. I want you just to take a moment where you are and to just, just ask the Lord or confess to the Lord, God, what else, what, what am I filling my appetite with? What am I satisfying myself with that's drawn me away from being satisfied by you? Ask him, confess to him and ask him that he would draw you back to himself. Would you ask him now just to stir in your heart? Ask him that he would show you his infinite worth and that he would help you by his spirit to really believe it. to you right now and I, I I just know that there are those of us in the room that we do not or can't believe that you would love us like this that the idea of your faithful love your kindness and your mercy being for us it, it's too good like we don't we we're not good enough. We, we, couldn't, we couldn't even receive it. Lord, would you stir in the hearts of anyone this morning who is questioning that you would love them? And would you overwhelm us all as we see a picture of Jesus Christ taking our shame taking our guilt, taking all that we've done that is run after every, we've run after every other thing, every sin, every pleasure, every secret thought, taking it all upon himself. And Lord, would we feel the weight of that? But would we feel the relief of that? Would we feel the great love that you've shown us through Christ? And would we know that we can now be your children? Lord, would you help us to walk in that? Help us to treasure. Do this by your spirit in us and we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.